If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this May 14th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about what's ever in the news from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Uh, This podcast was originally intended to be three hours. As a matter of fact, when you listen to hour number two, it's going to be declared to be hour number three by me. (laughs) But that's inaccurate. Uh, It is hour number two, so don't be confused. Because our hour number two uh, was unfortunately canceled at the very last moment, which is an all-too-common occurrence (laughs) on this podcast because an interview that I was really, really looking forward to with Amanda Carpenter, author of the book, or author of the book, Gaslighting America, Why We Love It When Trump Lies to Us, uh, had to be canceled because we were about to call her and we suddenly realized that for no apparent reason, the phone lines were dead. Yeah, uh, awfully frustrating, uh, maddening, uh, insane making. And uh, as I said, all too uh, common occurrence uh, when it comes to all things John Ziegler. And so uh, this podcast will only be two hours. Now, hour number two is still very much worth listening to. It's an interview that I did in person, therefore no phone lines, (laughs) Uh, with Dr. Jeffrey Bennett, an astrophysicist who is uh, speaking tonight at UCLA about global warming and trying to explain global warming to global warming skeptics like me. And since I'm a global warming skeptic, I thought, you know what, Uh, I'll go interview this guy in person so nothing can go wrong. Yeah, so uh, that was an interesting discussion slash debate, and you can hear it in hour number two of the podcast, although I describe it as hour number three. Hour number one, as is always the case, is a review of the news since the last time we did a podcast, which was a couple of weeks ago. And it's interesting, you know, I always hesitate to see trends in the news because you're dealing with a very small number of data points. But there's no question that there's been a trend over the last couple weeks with regard to President Trump and almost all of the news being of an international variety. Today, officially, the U.S. Embassy was moved to Jerusalem. 
course, we have the hostages returning from North Korea and the ensuing scheduled summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un from North Korea. We have, have uh, Trump pulling out of the Iranian nuclear deal. And uh, we also have Donald Trump over the weekend, <laughs> bizarrely, even by his standards, saying uh, via Twitter that uh, we need to help a China phone company. Maybe we should hire the China phone company to do the phones for our podcast. Uh, we need to help a China phone company save jobs. Not making that up. That's, that, is, that is actual news. I'm not uh, exaggerating or manipulating what he said. He, he went on Twitter and, and said, we need to help this China phone company, by the way, a company that is considered to be a security risk, a national security risk by all of our intelligence agencies. They, they, the President of the United States, Mr. America first, Mr. You know, we're getting ripped up by China. He's the one saying, no, we got to help China save these, this phone company and the jobs of the people that work there. You can't make this up. There's all sorts of theories as to what's really going on there. I don't fully understand it. It certainly appears as if he, Trump has cut off the legs of the, of the U.S. negotiator with China. Uh, and did he do that as part of some good, bad, good cop, bad cop deal, some sort of uh, eight-dimensional chess? Or is he just Trump being Trump? Or is there something even more nefarious going on? I have no idea, except for the fact, here's what I do know. If Hillary Clinton had <laughs> publicly stated that we, on Twitter or anywhere else, that we need to go out of our way and endure a potentially significant national security risk to save a Chinese phone company and Chinese jobs, the right-wing media would have gone up in flames. Up in flames. What difference at this point does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference because the level of hypocrisy that we're dealing with now is just so unprecedented. It's so absurd. It's actually funny. It's actually humorous. You know, it's, it's a lot of things, but, you know, one of the things it is... is it's just flat-out ridiculous. And that's what it is. It's... You couldn't make... It's almost like he's fucking with us. It's almost like he's seeing how much he can get away with, how much he can crap on the base that he duped into supporting him no matter what. I mean, a large part of his campaign was attacking China. China or China is ripping us off. We're going to rework the trade deals with China. I know China because one of the biggest banks in China is a tenant of Trump Tower. Like that gave him some sort of special insight into China. It's bizarre. It's off the charts, weird. It's inexplicable. And there is absolutely no question that if Hillary or Obama or anybody with a D next to their name had done anything close to this, there would have been a complete freak out on the right. Now, as far as the other stuff, Iran, Jerusalem, North Korea, I have no idea. It's not my area of expertise, which are very limited. Just ask my wife. I have a very limited level of, or area of expertise, both level and area of expertise. But it, I can assure you that within that purview is not an expertise on the Iranian arms deal, 
the uh, or even really whether or not it's a good idea to move the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. I don't even have a real good idea of what the heck's happening in North Korea. But here's the important part. I don't believe Donald Trump does either. And see, that's why we have a president. You're supposed to hire somebody to do that job that you trust. You might not always agree with. They might not always be right. But you trust that they have knowledge that you don't. They have an understanding that you don't. Or at the very least, they have people around them that possess this knowledge and understanding that you don't for these very complex situations like Iran, Jerusalem, North Korea, China, whatever. I have zero trust, zero, literally zero trust that Donald Trump has any of that knowledge or insight. Believe me. No, that's not enough. That's just not enough. It's not enough for me because this guy. All I know is what's on the Internet. Is not qualified. He doesn't have the value system that, to me, is to be counted on. He he values what's good for him today. That's not the value system that is consistent with a guy who I can trust making decisions on an international basis like this, where you're sometimes dealing with incredibly dangerous and precarious set of circumstances. It's Frankly, it's so scary, I don't even want to think about it. Now, maybe it'll all work out, <laughs> but it'll be mostly by luck if it does. Like this North Korea thing. Maybe it's just so fucking crazy, it'll all work out. But it won't be because of prudent decisions or informed insight. It'll be mostly because of luck. Now, Trump's a lucky guy. There's no question about that. He's gotten a long way in his life based on largely luck. But when it comes to the country, and you know, I'm a, I'm a negative-thinking person to begin with, luck eventually is going to run out. And when you're dealing with stakes this high, that's a problem. Because when the luck runs out and the stakes are high, that means there's going to be some major repercussions. Let's hope not. But when you're playing with fire to this level, eventually you're going to get burned. Of course, even when Trump gets burned, he claims it's a victory and that was all part of the plan. Hell, even when his own followers get burned, they don't care. It's, it's amazing. They, they really just don't care. I love the poorly educated. So I have no trust in Donald Trump in this area. I, I hope it all works out. But if it does, it's mostly luck. Now, interestingly, I mentioned before that I use my wife often as a um, a pretty good gauge as to where the non-Trump cult 45 Republican base is, because my wife is kind of a hybrid. Most of her family is is very Trump culty, not f- maybe full on Trump cult, but they definitely have the virus. It, it, there's no question about that. And there's no antidote for it. My wife doesn't really have the virus, but she she gets um, symptoms from time to time. So she's kind of like uh, one foot in, one foot out of the cult. And that makes her an, an interesting case study. And I think it was after the, uh, the North Korean hostages were returned, which to me, I'm like, wait a minute, let's let's do the math on this. So 
North Korea takes hostages to <laughs> use as bargaining chips. We then play that game and allow them to be used as bargaining chips so that Kim Jong-un gets what he wants, which is to now be praised and respected by the president of the United States, first calling him very honorable and then saying when these three guys returned that they had been treated exceedingly well. Huh? And bragging about the ratings he was going to get at, a th at 3 a.m. Because that's what time in the middle of the night they came home on live television and Trump was bragging about the ratings. But anyway, the point here is I, I don't understand how it is that we're giving Un exactly what he would want. How where's the disincentive to take hostages in the future? Where's the disincentive? There's none. He got exactly what he wanted. And and no real, no even criticism. He got praised by the President of the United States over how he treated these people who he took hostage for no reason. Anyway, so my wife was somewhat impressed by that and said, you know, I don't know, there's all sorts of good things happening. The economy seems to be going well. And we got this uh, these North Koreans and... Uh, you know, he's out of the Iran deal like he promised. And she started to say, well, maybe things are better than, than you think. I said, look, here's the analogy I'll use. Hurricanes, when they come ashore, one of the things that happens with a hurricane, because they tend to hit, you know, places in the South, like Texas or Florida or the Carolinas, whatever, one of the things that usually happens is that areas that haven't gotten rain get some rain. Sometimes they get a little too much. But by and large, hurricanes have a positive aspect to them. That they provide rain where sometimes you need rain. Now, does that mean that a hurricane in its totality is a positive? Not usually has to be a pretty light hurricane for a hurricane to, in its totality, when it's all said and done, which is the important part here, to be looked at as a net gain, as a positive development. And I, it's always been my view that this is a hurricane. Trump is a hurricane. We don't know what category yet. It's looking like it's going to be a pretty large one. It's going to change our politics forever, maybe even our country forever. And we're just really at the beginning stages of this hurricane. He's not even halfway through his term yet. He might get reelected. So when it's all said and done, and by the way, when I say all said and done, I mean 15 years from now, 20 years from now. If in 15, 20 years from now, see, this is part of the problem because we live in a world where it's what happens today that matters. But if in 15, 20 years from now, you come back to me and go, John, guess what? We, we not only survived Trump, it was actually a, a net positive. We're better off now than we would have been if he had not been elected. If that's the case, I'll not only admit it, I'll be happy. I don't buy that. I, don't, I think that is, a, that is a scenario with a very, very low probability attached to it. And so, uh, you know, when you're a long thinker, that's um, unfortunate because that's not the way the world works today. There's no benefit to you in that. No, no, and then by the way, 15, 20 years from now, assuming I'm even alive, which might be a long shot, 
but no one's even going to say, hey, you were right. (laughs) No one remembers. No one cares. It's not the way the world works. The benefit is all on what happens today. And that's why I've always used the analogy of a drug party. This is also like a drug party. The benefits of a drug party are all up front. The payment is all in the back. And I'm still convinced that the payment we're going to have, be forced to uh, remit on this, is going to be way, way larger than the benefit. If only for the standpoint of we have ceased to value truth. If that was the only thing Trump did in the negative, I would still suggest that that, that's a hard one to overcome. That there's not much that can provide value greater than that negative. But that's what Trump has done. Trump is no longer the currency of our realm. In fact, it doesn't even have any value. It's gone from one time being gold. Now, it hasn't been gold for a while. But now it's dog shit. Popularity with stupid people is what really matters. That's far more valuable than truth. I love the poorly educated. You know, that's just unfortunately the reality. All I know is what's on the Internet. So that to me is damage enough because I'm a truth guy. Now, uh, speaking of truth, there's been some really weird truths that have come out in the last couple of weeks, mostly via Rudy Giuliani, assuming you even believe he's telling the truth. I've written a column about this when it first started happening, where Giuliani was revealing all this sort of stuff about Michael Cohen and that Trump actually had reimbursed Michael Cohen for the Stormy Daniels deal. And then there was a back and forth and you kind of changed the story and you can check that out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Here, here's my my view on this has changed since I wrote that column, although I still think the, the column has value. And basically what I think happened here is Rudy Giuliani was given a limited series of facts that were problematic. And Rudy tried to concoct a scenario that would be the best bad outcome for Trump. In other words, the least bad narrative for him. And I think what he tried to do was he looked at payments that Trump had made via a monthly retainer of like $35,000. And he decided, aha, that's how you, Donald Trump, repaid Michael Cohen for the Stormy Daniels deal and for other stuff expenses and even gave him a little extra for the effort, you know, a little, little extra something for the effort, which is always good. You know, when you're, when you're running a, a mob ring, which is basically what president Tony Soprano was doing, it's always good to make sure your people have a little something extra, you know, for the taxes, which I'm sure are not even paying <laughs> and Christmas and that kind of stuff. But what happened here was Giuliani looked at that and said, You did reimburse him, but you didn't know about it because it was just a general reimbursement for overall fixing. Whatever needed to be fixed, Michael Cohen did it. So you didn't even know the details. You weren't involved, but you still paid him back. Now, the paying back is important because that gets Michael Cohen, theoretically, out of a campaign finance law violation, which could be important because... That would be pressure, theoretically, that Cohen could be under to provide those investigating him with other 
more damaging information. So in other words, if you take away one of the weapons that those are putting pressure on, on Cohen have, then there's a less, less chance, there's a, a much less chance that Cohen is going to cave and flip on Trump. That's how I'm interpreting. I'm giving Rudy Giuliani the benefit of the doubt here, which maybe, by the way, is a mistake on my part because it's clear that Rudy has lost his verbal fastball, that he's a bit nuts, uh, that he's not all there, and he's clearly not fully in the loop, although Trump in classic Trump style got to have it both ways by saying that Trudy, that Trudy, <laughs> that Rudy Trudy, uh, that Rudy Giuliani didn't have all the facts, but he didn't say which ones he didn't have. So that was a, that's a classic Trump response that's actually very beneficial to him because that means the Trump fans can believe literally whatever they want to believe. If they like something Rudy said, it's true. If they didn't, it's not true. It's beautiful. It's tremendous. It's genius. I don't think it's necessarily by design. Maybe part of it is. But it's a classic Trump move. And uh, I, I don't know exactly. I don't think anybody does what the truth is with regard to the reimbursement issue. But we learn some other things about Michael Cohen, including that he's been getting paid by a lot of people, not just this reimbursement by Donald Trump. He got paid by a Russian oligarch. He got paid by AT&T. He got paid by Novaris. Uh, a couple other major American companies, which what when what looked like bribes, they look like total, flat-out bribes. Speaking of President Tony Soprano, this is the way the mob works. You're greasing the right people. The lawyer of a corrupt president. It's as, it's as swampy as it gets, but that's the way Trump works. If he's criticizing something, then you know that's probably something he's engaged in. If he is claiming something loudly, you know that's probably not true. So when he... Kept saying during the campaign, I'm going to drain the swamp, drain the swamp, drain the swamp. He is the swamp. Michael Cohen couldn't be swampier. It's his own personal attorney. But no one in the Trump cult's going to care. They think it's probably funny. They, 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 I think they actually like the image. I think Trump likes the image of Trump as mob boss. You know, the, the Tony Soprano figure, everyone likes, he gets things done. You might have to break a few rules in the process, maybe break a few bones too, but it doesn't matter because he's looking out for the folks, even though he's not, doesn't give a damn about anybody else but himself. Now, the money issue with Trump has always fascinated me, and I, I've always been baffled that more has not been made of Donald Trump's money because, frankly, that's all that matters with him not just in his value system, but that's how he became famous. That's how he became a celebrity. That's how he became president, was his alleged wealth. And there were a couple stories in the last few weeks, which I've written columns about. Again, you can check them out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, that really, I think, start to shed more light on what really happened here. Now, before I get to the, the big picture... Uh, and you know a story that the Washington Post did about how all of a sudden Trump was using all sorts of cash and that there may be a, a Russian reason for that. I want to talk about the other story involving a, uh, an apparent affair and Michael Cohen. 
because this is fascinating to me. And it's amazing that, that more has not been made of this in the news media. In fact, it's incredible that most of the news media has just pretended that the cover story they've been provided on this is real. I'm referring to the story of Michael, I don't know if it's Brody or Broidy. Maybe it's Broidy. It's spelled Broidy. So I'll, I'll say Broidy. Anyway, Michael Broidy is or has been a big time Republican fundraiser. He's super rich. And a few months ago, it was reported that Michael Broidy paid a fairly recent Playboy Playmate $1.6 million to cover up their affair, an affair which resulted in a pregnancy. Now, when this story broke, my BS detector was immediately at about an 8 out of 10. My blink reaction was, wait a minute. And I know none of the details at this point. Hold on. Michael Broidy, look at him. He's 60 years old. He's fat and unattractive. He's been married for a long time, got three kids. He's unknown. He has very little, you know, public reputation to uphold. Sure, obviously, within his circles of rich people, he has a reputation to uphold. But why in the world, first of all, how in the world is he not only having an affair with a Playboy playmate, playmate of the year, but he's impregnating her? Now, let's be real in a way that only a podcast can be real in this day and age. Podcasts are great for a lot of reasons. One of them is you, you're able to still say some things that are true that you wouldn't say normally in other public venues. But let's be very clear about this. There is a major difference. As difficult as it is for me to believe that Broidy ever came close to getting naked with a Playboy Playmate, there is a big difference between getting naked and getting that woman pregnant. Because let's pretend the Playmate fell on hard times and just decided to sell her body, right? She basically became a whore. Just out, because that, that's the only way a, a Broidy was going to have an affair with a Playboy Playmate, is that he's directly paying her. If he's directly paying her, which, okay, fine, now I'm, now I'm willing to believe it, she ain't getting pregnant because she's making damn well sure that she's either on birth control or he's on birth control or they're both on birth control. Also, by the way, a pregnancy implies, doesn't prove, it implies a consistent affair, not a one-shot deal. Getting pregnant on one-shot deal is not impossible, but exceedingly difficult. So we're looking at a scenario here that's very difficult to fathom, that Broidy impregnated a Playboy Playmate. Then there's another part of the story that doesn't make any sense. $1.6 million? $1.6 million. Why would it be, and I know this guy's super rich, why would it be worth $1.6 million to keep this woman's story quiet? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've already learned that how Stormy Daniels was only worth $130,000. Karen McDougal was only worth $150,000 to the National Enquirer, and she actually did some work for that money. So, Where's the 1.6 million from? 
Well, if you use your brain, you go, well, if there's a pregnancy and she didn't have a kid, that probably means there was an abortion. Okay. We're still not at $1.6 million to cover up an abortion for Michael Briotti. It's just not there. However, I'm sorry, Briotti. But however, there is another scenario which makes all these pieces of the puzzle which don't seem to fit all of a sudden come together quite nicely. And last week, New York Magazine put out a theory in great detail that makes it obvious that this narrative that I just outlined to you, that the news media bought hook, line, and sinker is about as realistic as an episode of Sharknado. It didn't happen. It's absurd. It's like the Penn State narrative. It's a ridiculous narrative that the media just bought into because, hey, no reason to look into this. Because we don't, you know, we have no imagination. We have no balls. We have no brain power. And uh, even though we supposedly hate Trump, we're just going to accept it. Well, if you look at all the pieces of this, there's only one scenario that does make sense. And that's that Broidy was not the one who impregnated the Playboy Playmate. And apparently got an abortion. That was Donald Trump. Why do we think it was Donald Trump? Well, first of all, who has a penchant for Playboy Playmates? Donald Trump. Frankly, an obsession with them. Had a friendship with Hugh Hefner, which apparently went sour for some reason in the last few years of Hefner's life. But well on the record, Trump is. Obviously, had Miss Universe. He loves that type of woman. Very into the Playboy Playmate. Bro, Idy, no evidence of this at all, nor any game to be able to pull this off, unlike the celebrity Donald Trump. Trump's a massive celebrity. He's running a TV show at this time. That's something that might attract a Playboy Playmate. He's got charisma. He's not great looking, but at least he's, you know, he's got charisma and celebrity, and the perception of wealth, and the ability to get you on television, potentially. That's enough to potentially get a Playboy Playmate into bed with a little bit of luck. Not that I would know personally, but I'm guessing. (laughs) That at least makes some sense. The $1.6 million makes a hell of a lot more sense if you're covering this up for a current president of the United States and there was an abortion involved. Now it makes sense. Now, I've had people say, well, in fact, I when I mentioned this to some not Trump-loving people, their first reaction was, well, wait a minute. In fact, my father was in town, and he, he hates Trump. And he's like, wait a minute. I remember this story, and the guy took responsibility for it. He, he apologized to his family. Why would he do that? Seriously? Uh, first of all, it's important to point out that Broidy's wife has not left him. And she's a either current or former executive at 20th Century Fox. So she knows what the hell's going on. She knows the way of the world. So why is she not leaving him? Why? Doesn't prove that it didn't happen, but if she left him, then it would be some credibility to the apology. More importantly than that, he's a super rich Republican. He has an interest in protecting the president of the United States and even more so 
he gets a massive benefit from now having huge leverage over the president of the United States forever. If this theory is true, outlined by New York Magazine, and I augmented it in my Mediate column, which, again, you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, that this is true, Broidy has enormous leverage over Trump because he took the fall for Trump not just having an affair, but in some way, shape, or form facilitating an abortion with a Playboy playmate in fairly recent a fairly recent time period. Now, all that makes a lot of sense. It makes even more sense when you get into the details because guess who handled the negotiation for Broidy? You guessed it, Michael Cohen. <laughs> Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, who has very few clients, very little expertise in anything. He's a moron. Why in the world would Broidy hire Michael Cohen to do this? Not only did he hire him, he paid him an extra $186,000, which is way too much, way too much to negotiate a deal as simple as this non-disclosure agreement. $186,000 for a non-disclosure agreement, which just happens to have the exact same verbiage used from the exact same template as, you guessed it, the Stormy Daniels deal. So do the math, folks. Oxum's razor tells you that even though it's seemingly crazy, but we're dealing with a crazy person as president, the most logical and the simplest explanation here is Trump had the affair. It was Trump's baby that got aborted. Broidy stepped in to take one for the team and to get leverage on Trump. Trump probably also doesn't have $1.6 million in cash to pay off a Playboy Playmate, which is another element of this whole story. Cohen brokers the deal. It gets found out. Broidy has to take, take one for the team and falls on the sword. His wife does not leave him. And everybody's happy, by the way. Everybody wins here. It's well worth Broidy's $1.6 million to save the president and get leverage over him. Trump, for free, gets to have this story at least temporarily go away, although I still think it's going to bubble up again. And, and by the way, you know who else is probably getting some more money out of this? The Playboy Playmate. Not only does she get $1.6 million, my guess is she's probably getting some more now. There's got to be some way to keep her quiet now that this has become somewhat public. Because if she does an interview, I do think, if she were to come out and tell the real story here, even I believe, as skeptical as I am, that anything could damage Trump with the, whatever it is, 40, 42% of the public that is devoted to him. Even I believe that this story could do some damage. How much? I don't know. But that's pretty amazing. Forget about the affair part. I'm talking about the abortion and the cover-up. That, if, if that wouldn't be enough to damage Donald Trump, then I give up. Then there's nothing. Then it doesn't matter. Morality means nothing. Truth means nothing. Which, by the way, might be where we already are. That's quite possible. But this would be a hell of a test of that. Now, I wrote another column about Trump's money, which I want you to check out. And this one is in much, a much more general sense. 
and it was originated with an uh, article in the Washington Post about an interesting phenomenon where Trump, all of a sudden, just a couple of years before he ran for president, specifically the years 2011, 2012, and 2014, suddenly started to spend lots of cash, which he's never done before. He has never used his own cash in any great amounts to buy anything, any of his properties, any of his golf courses. He's just never done that. Partially because he didn't have it. Partially because he knew he didn't need to do it. Now, I've known this for a very long time because, as I've mentioned before in this podcast, and I've even had him on the podcast and briefly talked about it, although he wasn't real thrilled about doing so and wasn't nearly as open on the podcast as he is uh, when I talked to him in person. But I had my father on to discuss this because in the late 80s, my father was directly involved, directly involved, meeting with Trump with one other person to facilitate a couple of very high-profile loans that Trump took out, which he never fully paid back. And it was obvious what his M.O. was at the time. And, you know, a couple years later, when his world collapsed in the early 1990s, the banks had to make a decision. They literally all got together with Trump in the corner of the room, and they all got together and decided, you know what? Uh, we could destroy you. We could kill you. We could you know, bankrupt you. But we've decided that because of your brand, because of your fame, you're marginally more valuable to us alive than you are dead. So we're going to keep you alive. We're going to give you an allowance of several hundred thousand dollars a month so you can continue to pretend that's the operative word, pretend to be rich so you can keep your brand going, and maybe someday we'll get our money back. And so that has always, to me, been incredibly important to understand because it, it, it really tells you a lot about how Trump views the world, views economics, views people, and also what his economic situation is. Because it's not like he had a series of enormous successes. <laughs> In fact, he had a lot of failures in the ensuing time period. It's not as if he had an, an incredible number of incredible, you know, amazing successes. He didn't, you know, found Microsoft or Google or something like that to explain how he's all of a sudden a ten billionaire. He's not a ten billionaire. I don't think he's a billionaire. And I guarantee you, when it comes to cash, he's got very little of it. Very little, which is why. Michael Broidy is paying his former mistress's $1.6 million through Michael Cohen. Anyway, so I found the Post article to be fascinating because what was changing this? Now, they asked Eric Trump, Trump's son, okay, why all of a sudden were you buying all these things with significant amount of cash? And Eric Trump gave them a very, you know, Pollyannish. Oh, things were going really well. We have accumulated a lot of cash. We, you know, we know the dangers of taking loans, and we decided that this uh, this was the better way to go during this time period. Now that all sounds great if you buy the narrative that the Trump organization even had that kind of cash to begin with, but there's no evidence of that. It also doesn't make a lot of sense because when you're if you're going to use a lot of cash. First of all, you got to have it, right? Now, 
why would Trump all of a sudden have a ton of cash starting in 2011, 2012? This is just after the a massive collapse of the real estate market and the economy. So it's not like that's when you would have been accumulating a ton of cash. It's also, by the way, if you had the cash, that's not when you would dump it all in. You would dump it all in in 2010, if you were smart, 2009, if you were really smart, because that's at the bottom of the real estate market. That's when everything's the cheapest. So that doesn't make sense. Here's another thing that doesn't make any sense. By 2013 and 14, Trump clearly has to be thinking about running for president of the United States. Has to be. If you're running for president of the United States as an insurgent candidate, right? What's the number one thing Donald Trump will need to run an even remotely legitimate presidential campaign? Cash. That's the first thing he needs. So you need to make sure that you have extreme liquidity. You need 50 to $100 million ready to go at a moment's notice. Well, why the hell then are you spending hundreds of millions of dollars in cash for properties the type of which you've never purchased before? I remember very vividly when he bought Doral in Miami and Turnberry, these are golf courses, in Scotland. Very prestigious golf courses. This is not the type of golf course that Trump had ever bought before. I'm, I'm thinking, and I spent a lot of time at Doral when I was a kid. You know, fell in love with the place. Turnberry's awesome. I'm like, okay, how the hell did this happen? How did he go from his normal MO, like, for instance, in Palos Verdes here in Southern California, very close to where I used to live with my wife, we were, I mean, I, I would actually, before Trump ran for president, I would spend a lot of time with the Trump National Driving Range and the putting green. I mean, it's a beautiful place, terrible golf course. But there's a golf course there that Trump bought after literally part of the golf course had fallen into the ocean. <laughs> it did it was, talk about in disrepair. It wasn't even in existence. The course had been done over not played on for years. That's the definition of a distressed property. So he bought it, fixed it up, slapped the Trump name on it. It's a piece of crap golf course, but it's pretty because it's right along the ocean. It's losing money hand over fist because he paid way too much for it. And the, the, the golf course does, just doesn't tr attract that many golfers because it's a crappy golf course. So uh, it's classic Trump. It's got Trump all over it. That makes sense. Him buying Doral and Turnberry didn't make any sense, especially when we learn that he did so largely, no, not totally, with cash. Well, that leads me to another thing. I'm, I have a very good memory, and I'm pretty good at connecting dots. Well, last year, there was a podcast by two golf writers who had written a very extensive profile of Donald Trump for Sports Illustrated about the sport of golf and Trump's influence on it and vice versa. And it got really deep into the weeds. And they did a podcast for the article, the two golf writers did. 
And towards the end of the podcast, all of a sudden, out of the blue, one of the writers asked the other, what did you make of what we found in relation to Robert Mueller's Russia investigation? I'm like, what? And it was obvious, because I know the way the media works, that what had happened here was you had two guys who had worked hard on trying to get a part of a story up to the level where it could meet the standards of Sports Illustrated. But because of the sensitive nature of the subject matter, they just couldn't get it done. They couldn't nail it down. But they felt comfortable enough about talking about it on a podcast, just not in Sports Illustrated. And the other writer responds by going into pretty darn good, great detail, though still trying to be as cryptic as possible, indicating that they had found some significant evidence from someone in Trump's circle who had seen the documentation that Trump's purchase of Doral and I think specifically Turnberry, but both of those had been funded by Russian money. And I went, okay, now this is all starting to make sense. It makes sense from an economic standpoint because that's why you would start spending cash. Cash, first of all, is tougher to trace, but also you're spending cash because it's not yours. It's somebody else's cash. That's why you have no problem spending it just before you start running for president because it's coming from a completely different source. It's not coming from your normal cash accounts. And so... This is also consistent, by the way, with one of the things that has always baffled me. Of all the things Trump got away with during the primaries, this one really stunned me. Uh, Certainly in the top five, if not top ten, of the biggest stunners that Trump got away with in the primaries. But right in the middle of that primary campaign, with Marco Rubio still in contention, and before the Florida primary happened, the PGA Tour announced they were moving the tournament that had been at Doral, which Trump now owned, for over half a century, a Miami staple, incredible tradition. They were moving the tournament away from Trump's golf course. And where were they sending it? You can't make this up. To Mexico. To Mexico. So right in the middle of the campaign, the PGA Tour announces what I thought was going to be a bombshell. Holy shit. And why was this going to be a bombshell? Well, because Trump's whole narrative is he's the deal maker, right? He makes incredible deals and he's super rich. And just follow me and I'll make great deals for making America great again. And here he is, not able to make a deal to keep the PGA Tour event that's been there for over half a century on his own course, even just to avoid the embarrassment in Florida the most important state in both the primaries and the general election with one of his opponents, Marco Rubio being from Florida. Now, why Rubio did not take advantage of this. I have no stinking idea. There were a couple PGA tour golfers that actually chided Trump over the tournament moving to Mexico of all places. But here's why it's also significant. Not only couldn't he keep make a deal to keep the tournament there, The tournament lost its major sponsor, Cadillac. Well, it would have only cost, and I don't have the exact numbers here, but this is a pretty good estimate. For, I think, for five, at most, $10 million, Trump could have 
paid for the whole tournament by himself. If only, if only to avoid that embarrassment and keep the tournament for another year, because you keep it for another year, things change. Trump doesn't win the nomination or doesn't win the presidency and he's no longer politically toxic. Another sponsor can come in. All sorts of things can happen. So this has happened numerous times on the PGA Tour where a tournament is imperiled. Someone comes in to save it for just a year, maybe two, to buy time. If you're worth $10 billion, that's something you can do out of your wallet. All right? Out of your wallet with a credit card or a check with no problem. Sure, you know what? Look. Uh, I want to keep the tournament here. It's great advertising for my resort. It's embarrassing. And politically, this would be a bad idea. Here's uh, 5 to $10 million. I'll sponsor the tournament myself this year. Did not happen. Why did it not happen? Because Trump doesn't have the fucking money. That's why it didn't happen. Which also goes to show that he probably didn't have the money when it came to buying Doral or Turnberry. Because if he had had that kind of cash then, he'd have that kind of cash in 2016. Especially when he had to be planning he was running for president. Well, all this makes a hell of a lot more sense when you consider the idea that he got the money from Russian sources. Which, interestingly, his own son Eric, back in 2014, according to another golf reporter, said exactly that. Now, I don't know. There's no proof of that. It's not on tape. And I've always been suspicious of that quote because it was a little too perfect for the news media. But Trump, Eric Trump supposedly told this golf writer in 2014, oh, no, we're not using U.S. banks. We're getting all the money we need from Russia. This is consistent with the Donald Jr. tweet around the same time period, a little earlier, saying money's pouring in from Russia. Now, I'm not suggesting this proves collusion, by the way. It's consistent with collusion. This might actually be the, the root of the problem for why... Trump and the people around him keep lying about everything regarding Russia. Because this might be, underline might, might be the root thing they're covering up. This might have been the start of it all. The embarrassment over the fact that Trump didn't really buy these properties. That he's really not that rich. That these Russians came in in an obvious attempt to make him into a puppet not for the purposes of becoming president. They never they never thought that. They looked at Trump as a disruptor. That's what they wanted. They wanted a disruptor. And so he was well worth the money to them. They compromise him. They own him. He's their puppet. They never dreamed he would actually become president. So I don't know. Again, it's consistent with collusion. It's also consistent with this other theory, which I have been bouncing around for a long time that maybe all these lies regarding Russia are more about something else combined with incompetence, combined with just a tendency to lie, and that this actually would provide a potentially somewhat logical explanation for a lot of this. If you're interested in the subject, I urge you to check out my column at freespeechbroadcasting.com. The, the title is something along the lines of Is Golf the Key to Understanding the Trump-Russia Connection? I wrote another column uh, about um, Salem Media, which I urge you to check out because there's been a lot of news surrounding Salem Media and their purging of anti-Trump opinions, both on the web 
and on the radio. Uh, you can the speak the column pretty much speaks for itself, but I I, I do urge you to check that out at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I also wrote a column about the effort to me too Tom Brokaw, which is seemingly stalled out. It's interesting these stories, they they we've now seen a pattern, right? There's the initial allegation, there's the reaction, then. Usually, especially if someone's guilty, there'll be a wave of new allegations. And then oftentimes the media will feed on itself because the media starts generating all this attention. And of course, that generates potentially real and potentially false new allegations. And that begets more media coverage. This is what happened to Al Franken. (laughs) Al Franken with the drip, 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 where he never, to my knowledge, was even proven of ever having done anything and was never alleged of doing anything more uh, than, I don't even know what you would call it, but being handsy, I guess, which I don't even necessarily believe. But he got kicked out of the U.S. Senate because of it. Well, Brokaw had this one major allegation by Linda Vester, former NBC reporter, former Fox News Channel uh, host. Now she's retired. And this beget a couple of other allegations, both of which were, I think one was anonymous and one was 50 years ago, well before he was even at NBC. How that could possibly be relevant? First of all, it's 50 years old. It's on its face. It's not relevant or highly suspicious. There's got to be some sort of statute of limitations on these things. The allegation was he tried to kiss her and the and the bigger problem with it was he's not even the M- I don't think he's at NBC at that point. He's certainly not with the network, and he's not the anchor of the NBC Nightly News. The whole point of this whole thing is that somehow Brokaw was using his power as the anchor of NBC Nightly News to subject women to sexual harassment and sexual abuse. That's the whole premise. But that allegation doesn't do anything to substantiate that. And I've gotten into it online, and I have nothing. I, I don't like Tom Brokaw. I, I couldn't care less. He seems like an okay guy. Um, but I, I can't stand these nonsensical allegations out of the blue, many decades old, where we're now changing all the rules. We don't even know what the rules are. They make no damn sense. You know. And by the way, speaking of the rules, I think there is a systematic and highly successful effort by the Me Too movement to destroy any ability for even a potentially innocent man to defend himself. And they're doing it with Tom Brokaw in a way that's really quite astonishing. Or in the English language, astonishing. Now it's illegitimate for over 100 women who have worked with Brokaw over the years to sign a letter not criticizing his accuser, simply saying they think he's a great guy and a man of great character. That is now being considered in many media circles, even by some conservatives like Essie Cup, which blew my mind because I think she's pretty smart. That's being considered illegitimate now. What? What? Hold on a second. So you're not allowed to have women who have worked with you write a letter of support because that somehow is intimidating to other women who may come forward. But wait a minute, what if there aren't any other women to come forward? What? This is a circular argument. This is illegitimate. This is absurd. This is dangerous. 
Because look at all the things that are now illegitimate defenses. You cannot uh, show pictures of the person accusing you of sexual harassment or assault uh, being in a happy moment with you after the event. Nope, not allowed to do that anymore. Nope, that's illegitimate. That's uh, victim shaming. Huh? Huh? You're, you're not, you can't show, hell, with the Weinstein, you're not even allowed to show uh, them thanking you with the Academy Awards in, in, in incredibly effusive praise. Nope, nope, sorry. That doesn't disprove anything. You're not allowed to use uh, statements that the accusers have made that are inconsistent or contradictory. Nope, not allowed to do that. Not allowed, you're not even allowed to use the fact that it, it in like investors case, it's taken over two decades for them to come forward with the story. Oh, no, you, uh, a victim, and be clear, this is not rape. See, that's the other thing that blows my mind. Somehow we're treating all these accusations exactly the same. If you got raped and it was horrific, I get it may take some time to overcome that and come forward and have the courage. This was nowhere near that. This was this was a, a tickle. So literally a tickle. That's, I think, one of her major allegations that Brokaw tickled her. So why does it take 20-some years to come forward? Why does it take over six months after Me Too becomes a thing for you to come forward? Why? No, you're not allowed to do that. You can't bring that up. That's victim shaming. And heaven forbid, you're not allowed to point out that isn't it odd that all a lot of these women are almost all of them are retired, no longer in the business, have nothing to lose, have lawyers, may or may not be looking for a payday or a settlement, like as we've seen happen numerous times within the Me Too movement. You're not allowed to mention that. That that is like woo wow wow. That is no. You cannot. No, you're not allowed to do that. No, no, that is all you. You are in big trouble there, boy. You, you, you can. I mean, it is. It is like a religion. The Me Too movement is like a religion now. It has gone. The pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that you know, frankly, it's just flat out ridiculous. We and it's dangerous. It's more than ridiculous. It's dangerous. And so there's been no more accusations against Brokaw, even though some reporters that I've gotten into with, with it on Twitter f- uh, have claimed that there will be. I mean, there's one guy from the Daily Caller who's a complete jackass. Oh, what a jackass. And, uh, and I, I said to him uh, last week, I said, so you, know, you, you had one unnamed source, one unnamed source that uh, people at NBC think there's going to be more allegations. So what happened? Where are they? And of course, he immediately starts name calling, pissed off at me. This Brokaw story has been has been forwarded by the media on two different occasions by one unnamed source. One unnamed source. That story in the Daily Caller, where the the quote unquote reporter claimed that uh, NBCers think that there's going to be more allegations, and there have not been to this date. And the other one was one unnamed source. From someone who said that women felt pressured to sign that letter that over 100 women did on behalf of Brokaw. One unnamed person out of over 100 that signed this. 
supposedly says to a tabloid, page six, a gossip column for a comp for a newspaper owned by Fox, the same people that own Fox News Corp. I mean, the, the conflicts of interest here are absurd, but it goes to the standard the media has. When the media likes a narrative, <laughs> it doesn't take anything to substantiate it. Nothing. And if they don't like a narrative, you can bring a mountain of evidence to the table and they don't care. It doesn't matter. Dump, sorry, you didn't meet our threshold, which, of course, is what I've been facing on the whole Penn State Paterno-Sandusky thing for six years. I bring a mountain and they don't care because it's against their narrative. Meanwhile, these guys can bring, you know, a pebble of sand. One unnamed source in a case like this is nothing. And it becomes headlines, literal headlines, instantaneously everywhere. One other point about this, you know, NBC released their report on Matt Lauer. And of course, that turned out exactly like I told you it would. NBC show uh, did an internal investigation no indication of any allegations against Matt Lauer until the one in November of 2017, which got him fired, which I have said from day one, based upon conversations with his own assistant, person who he knows him exceedingly well, who I know exceedingly well. And I've been on the Today Show three times with Matt Lauer. I got him to know pretty darn well in that foxhole. Don't really necessarily like him. He and I battled. But I have some respect for him both as a broadcaster and, frankly, as, even as a person. He's not a dirtbag. And I told you he got fired because he had an affair with a co-worker at the 2014 Sochi Olympics and did not disclose it as the employee handbook demanded that he did. Now, the employee handbook normally didn't mean a damn thing to a Matt Lauer. But post Me Too especially after they got criticized for killing the Harvey Weinstein story, as reported by Ronan Farrow, which is originally going to be an NBC story, NBC had a problem. NBC needed a scalp. And they all of a sudden retroactively changed the rules. Now all of a sudden, not disclosing a consensual affair was a deal breaker, a fireable offense for someone like Matt Lauer, who was a perfect target. High profile, white male, getting on in years, huge contract, way overpaid, whammo, you're gone. See you later. Win, 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 win. And this report substantiated that 100%. And what was the media reaction? Oh, well, of course NBC was going to report that. They did their own investigation. That's not credible. Of course, if NBC had come out and said, Yep, there was a systematic problem with Matt Lauer. We knew about this for a long time. We've gotten rid of a bunch of people. The media would have gone, oh, we told you, we told you. See, see, everything we told you was true. It's just that they don't like that narrative. And so what are they alleging? They're alleging now a massive conspiracy. Massive conspiracy. That's what it would take. If NBC really did a cover-up job on this, it would take a massive nonsensical conspiracy to protect uh, a bunch of people who w will get torched by one person. I mean, do you realize how easy it is in this environment? All it would take is one person with any direct knowledge of NBC's cover-up. They go to Ronan Farrow or someone like that, and it's over for everybody who participated in the cover-up. Over. Use your goddamn brains, people. This is not a conspiracy that's viable. So... Now, look, 
they came to the conclusion that I expected that they would. So therefore, I'm willing to accept it. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> In fact, it's the only one that makes any damn sense. <sighs> All right. Um, let's see. A couple other quick points. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court made it legal for states to uh, legalize gambling, sports gambling. Um, this is going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be good. I'm a libertarian, so I'm in favor of making most vices legalized and regulated. But in general, I think what's going to happen here is it's not going to generate as much revenue as people think. Partially because it's now lost its forbidden fruit aspect. See, people forget that. You know, it's almost like the opposite of healthcare. You know, when you make healthcare free, what happens? People use more of it than they normally would, right? Because there's a lot of decisions we make in our life. Do I need to go to the doctor? Do I not need to go to the doctor? I don't really want to go to the doctor. Well, I'm paying for it. I'm not going to go. If it's free, they make that decision to go. So inherently, that's why universal healthcare can't work because the costs are always going to explode. This is almost the opposite in that part of the thrill for a lot of people in betting is the, the underground nature of it. That's that it's illegal, that it's, that it is, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's the forbidden fruit. That's what it is. There, there's an allure to that. It's also going to harm places like Las Vegas, obviously, because Las Vegas now loses a lot of its monopoly on, on uh, sports gambling. And so I think that's going to have an impact. And I also think that there's going to be some bad situations that are going to be created by this. Maybe not immediately, but this is going to be very, very difficult to keep from getting out of hand. I'm talking about from the, from the sports standpoint. Now, a lot of sports are immune to, for instance, fixing because the, the salaries are so great, the economics don't work to fix. But... In college, that's not the case. You know, unless you go to Kentucky or something, play basketball in Kentucky. Then, you know, maybe the salaries in Kentucky for basketball might be too high to prevent a fix. But I kid, uh, partially. The, the reality is that I think college basketball and college football, college football is a more difficult game to fix. But I think you're going to see some problems. It is going to, they're going to have to be some real diligence to make sure that uh, there's not a situation involving uh, fixing going forward now that you have. Now, the, the, the positive side here is that it's all out in the open now. And when it's all out in the open, it can be regulated more. There's more transparency. I get that part. But overall, while philosophically I've got no problem with it, I think this is going to be causing probably more problems than it ends up being worth uh, with regard to tax money. Uh, Tiger Woods, uh, once again in contention at the Tournament Players Championship, but once again crapping out at the end, which, of course, substantiates my view that uh, while he is doing an amazing job in his comeback, he's never going to be close to what he was. I, I still think he, if he's going to win the U.S. Open, is a chance. Is, there's, there's a chance he might win the U.S. Open because at Shinnecock Hills, if it's playing hard and fast and the course is set up like it should, although the USGA has gone totally soft, but if they uh, go back to the old school USGA and it's a tough course setup, Tiger might be tough to beat at the U.S. Open. But even then, though, I don't think he wins because there's something's not quite right. And he'll, there's always going to be a train wreck. He has not been finishing strong. 
but it is amazing to see what how far he's coming under very difficult circumstances. Um, in hour number two, I mentioned that the guest is a, essentially a debate about global warming. And uh, so I want you to make sure you listen to that because it was it's really fascinating discussion slash debate, one that's highly unusual in this day and age. And one where we really get into uh, some substantive stuff. I, he gives it uh, his best. I give it my best. So make sure you listen to hour number two. I don't know when we're going to do our next podcast. It might be a while. Uh, but uh, make sure you check in with uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com for all my columns, my Twitter feed, Facebook. And as always, I only ask two things of you. Number one, make sure you share this uh, podcast via social media, Twitter, Facebook, or word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.